a Pantry Studio production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Hard to say what evil lurks around each corner in any given town, anywhere in the world. No matter how picturesque something may look to be, it can be hiding something entirely different under its facade of well-manicured lawns, perfectly trimmed trees, and smiles with accusatory attentions. That could blow away any truly meaningful friendships. While it may be just about an hour south of the major metropolitan hub of Louisville, Bardstown, Kentucky, seems like a world away. It now has a population of just over 14,000, and it was voted the most beautiful small town in America, also boasting of being the bourbon capital of the world due to the presence of six major whiskey distilleries in town, but... There's also a darker side to the region. Alternately known as the Bardstown Murders or the Nelson County Murders, the area is at the center of five unsolved deaths and disappearances. And these continue to inspire speculation, gossip, and intrigue far beyond the county line. Now, before this rash of unsolved high-profile murders, the counties around Bardstown were home to the Cornbread Mafia, rural farmers turned drug traffickers, who at their peak ran the largest marijuana production operation in the United States. Kentucky, like many other parts of the country, is now grappling with different and more persuasive types of drug epidemics like heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine, which they have some wondering if the drug trade has played a part in any of these mysteries in Bardstown. The first killing to send shockwaves throughout the community was the 2013 murder of a 33-year young Bardstown police officer named Jason Ellis, left behind two boys and a wife. That happened on May 25th in that year. A seven-year veteran of the department and a member of the K-9 unit, Ellis had just gotten off work and was driving home when he found a stack of freshly cut tree limbs blocking the road at his exit off the Bluegrass Parkway. That was exit number 34. After exiting his police cruiser to investigate, he was ambushed. Ellis was fatally shot multiple times with a 12-gauge shotgun. Now, if you'll back up to episode 15, you can hear so much more about that particular case. In the five years since Ellis's murder, police have interviewed countless people of interest connected with the case, and they've chased down a ton of leads, but none of them have led to anyone being put behind bars for that killing. In August of 2013, Brant Shackles, a member of the Bardstown Money Gang, or BMG, claimed the street gang was responsible for Ellis's murder. Brant is a nephew of Bill Shackles. He was one of Bardstown's mayors at the time. Bardstown PD, however, dismissed the group's claims with then-police chief Rick McCubbin calling them a bunch of punks and telling a local television station that they're trying to empower themselves by making that claim, intimidating people and using the fear tactic that, I'm so bad I killed a cop. Well, it was in April of 2014, almost a year after Ellis's murder, that Bardstown once again 
suffered a brutal double homicide this time. It was that of 48-year-old Kathy Netherland and her 16-year-old daughter Samantha. Their dead bodies were discovered by Kathy's father after she failed to show up for work at Bartstown Elementary School, where she worked as a special education teacher. Following their autopsies, WAVE3 reported that Kathy had been shot multiple times while Samantha had been bludgeoned about the head, with both women showing knife wounds to their neck. Well, Kentucky State Police had no suspects or motives for the Netherlands murders, none at all. Their only possible clue was a black Chevrolet Impala, which had been filmed near the crime scene on April 21, 2014, which was the night of the murder. Within months of the murders, police had searched more than 90 cars in that area and matched the vehicle description, according to WDRB. On the first anniversary of the murders, the Netherland family increased their reward for information about the killings from $2,500 to $50,000. Now, that's a big jump. But despite such an incentive, the murders remain unsolved. Then, the oddest thing happened. Seems an inmate offered up what might have been a feasible clue as to the why, if not the who. And they may be tied together. Well, more on that one in a moment. The next whodunit to befall Bardstown was the 2015 disappearance of 35-year-old Crystal Rogers. She was last seen July 3rd at the home she shared with her boyfriend, Brooks Hook, and their two-year-old son and other children. Well, there's a couple of days later, her mother reported her missing. That same day, her car was found abandoned along the Bluegrass Parkway with a flat tire, and her possessions were still inside. Roger's parents were immediately outspoken in their misgivings of boyfriend Brooks Hook. Complicating the investigation was the fact that Hook's brother Nick was a police officer with Bardstown. It was that October that Hook was fired from the police force on Bardstown for allegedly interfering with the investigation of Crystal Rogers' disappearance. Or at least that's what NBC affiliate WLEX said. Nick was blamed of warning his brother that detectives planned to interview him and advised him not to speak with him. Now, he later told the Kentucky State Police that he only contacted his brother to tell him that they might be trying to trip him up and he should protect himself. Former Sheriff Ed Mattingly identified Brooks Hook as a suspect in his girlfriend's disappearance, which he believes to be a homicide. Regardless of those accusations, neither one of the Hook brothers have ever been charged with any crimes related to the disappearance of Crystal Rogers, which they both adamantly deny that they had any involvement in. It was a rather peculiar twist that on the 19th of November, 2016, Crystal's father, Tommy Ballard, was critically shot in the chest by an unknown gunman while out hunting. He was with his 11-year-old grandson on family property at the time of his death, but police have ruled out the child as the shooter. Also, law enforcement has not yet categorized Ballard's death as a homicide, but that doesn't mean that they can't change that later. It's still getting investigated as if it were a murder investigation or homicide investigation, according to Kentucky State Police Trooper Jeff Gregory. Now, you know, small towns like this are hotbeds for gossip and chatter. Well, it's the kind of place where, even if you don't know what you're doing, somebody else does. Oh, Bardstown's bars and back streets? Well, 
They've pulsed with conspiracy theories trying to connect the dots between Bardstown's mysterious, unsolved crimes. It was in March of 2017 that Crystal Rogers' mother, Sherry Ballard, surmised that her daughter very well may have disappeared because she overheard something that she shouldn't have, quite possibly related to the murder of Jason Ellis. Could it have been? Yes. Oh, yes. It very well could have been. Sherry went on to say that her husband, Tommy, was, quote, never going to give up on finding out what happened to Sherry's daughter, Crystal. And he was going to push and push until he got answers. And she thinks that people knew that. Oh, well, Sherry definitely thinks that this is all connected. Now, we do need to mention here that none of her claims have ever been substantiated. But in the same beat, Trooper Gregory said, there's no reason at this time to believe they're connected. It's not something that they're discarding either. In May of 2017, the Kentucky State Police hired two retired troopers, specifically to aid in the investigations of the Bardstown killings. Spokesperson Lieutenant Michael Webb said police haven't ruled out the possibility that the cases might be connected but he didn't offer any further details at that time. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and this is a continuing look into Bardstown, Kentucky. This is Episode 16, A Shadow Across the Land, The Mountain Mystery of Kathy and Samantha Netherland. I will be the last to fall There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. Reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. There are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Long. Here's a big shout out and a thank you to one of our new Patreon supporters, Brad Hampton. Brad, I'm glad that you found out about the Mountain Mysteries and I'm glad that you enjoy it and I'm glad to have you with us. Thanks, good to have you here. I'm Chris Lone, the host of the Mountain Mysteries, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for yet another episode. Remember to log on to our website, www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com. There you can get a lot of cool Mountain Mysteries gear, as well as listen to episodes and submit your own blurs. Blurs are short stories that are apparently or allegedly based in real life about paranormal or any other kind of frightening experiences that you may have had. So... This episode today, like we've been telling you about, is a further examination into Bardstown, Kentucky and what I like to call the Bardstown Five. Definitely some mysterious murders and a person that is still classified as missing all these years later. In 2014, 
The vicious double killing of 48-year-old Kathy Netherland and her beautiful 16-year-old daughter Samantha shook the small community of Bartstown, Kentucky. Their bodies were discovered by Kathy's father on April 22nd after she failed to show up for work at Bartstown Elementary School, where she worked as a special education teacher. According to death certificates obtained by WAVE, or Wave 3, Kathy had been shot multiple times and Samantha had been bludgeoned in the head. Both had suffered knife wounds to their necks. So, in the four years after the Netherland murders, Kentucky State Police still have not been able to identify any suspects or possible motives. Actually, now it's closer to seven years. But during the season finale of Oxygen's documentary, The Disappearance of Crystal Rogers, reporter Stephanie Bauer spoke with an anonymous prison inmate who claimed Kathy and Samantha, and get this, were killed as a part of a gang initiation. When Bauer pressed him for details about how he knew it was a gang initiation, he said, Well, I know they were tortured. I know that they were tied to their chairs, and I know that one of them had her throat slit. They were stabbed and one was shot, and I know that certain trinkets were taken as trophies. But this inmate also said that a cell phone jammer was placed at the Netherlands' front door to kill any and all signals in the house. Now, to further investigate the inmate's claims, Bauer and retired homicide detective Dwayne Stanton met with Kathy's daughter and Samantha's sister, Holly Netherland Williams. Now, while it's true that Holly was not unable to confirm the inmate's claims, she said his theories about the gang initiation and trophies being taken from the crime scene. Oh, well, that was possible. When asked about the cell phone jammer, Holly said it's news to her, but she did elaborate that it would explain why no one got a call off because she knew her mom always had her cell phone in her hand. Another detail that struck Holly was the alleged torture that her mother and sister endured during the attack. She said, quote, I've been asked by the police about the relative location of chairs, said Holly. Well, this is one of those things that I'm not comfortable talking about. How they died is not one of the main things I want to think about, end quote. This new information has not been confirmed by law enforcement, but the Kentucky State Police say that they are investigating the inmates' claims. By the spring of 2014, nearly one year had passed since the murder of Bardstown Police Officer Jason Ellis. And throughout the entire region, everyone was suspicious, not only of strangers, but the people that they knew. The region itself had a population just above 11,000, and the residents of Bardstown always remained skeptical of their neighbors, colleagues, and other associates. Now, it's that kind of uncertainty right there, folks, that continues to mount throughout these past years when another shocking crime brought Bardstown to the forefront of Kentucky headlines again. This time, the crime was a savage double murder that was every bit as tragic and more barbaric than the ambush of Officer Ellis. Samantha Netherland was born on December 20, 1997. That spring, in 2014, Samantha was only 16 years old, a sophomore at Bardstown High School. A lot of people loved her. She was highly regarded as being one of the best students in her class and was a member of multiple clubs and organizations, including the academic team, women in science, the adventure club, the young leaders program, and she even sang in the school's honor choir. Samantha had recently been accepted into the Gatton Academy program, an affiliate of Western Kentucky University. 
It was an early college entrance program, which required good grades and plenty of extracurriculars. In the spring of 2014, 48-year-old Kathy Netherland had actually spoken to her reporter with the Kentucky Standard about Samantha's acceptance into the program. She said, and I quote, I'm very excited for her. This was her goal and her dream, and despite everything that's happened over the past year with the loss of her father, she did this on her own. I couldn't be prouder of her. End quote. Well, it wasn't an exactly a well-kept secret that Sam, or Samantha, had a very bright future ahead of her, and she personally dreamed of being a marine biologist. In particular, she hoped to work at a place like the Newport Aquarium, where she had visited the year prior and fell in love with it. But, in addition to being known as a great student, Samantha was also known for being a pretty regular teenager who loved hanging out with her friends, playing video games, and headbanging to 80s hair metal. Her older sister Holly recalls that Samantha could identify each Def Leppard song from its opening guitar riffs. That would have been a girl after my own heart. Up until April 21st, 2014, everything seemed to be ah, same old stuff each day. It was normal. With the Netherland family, Holly was away at school preparing to wrap up her sophomore year of college, and Samantha was prepping for her high school prom later that month. Now, her mom and she had just gone shopping for a dress and jewelry the prior weekend, and Kathy had posted pictures of all of it at her personal Facebook account. Little did they know that something dark was going on. Log on now to www.themountainmysteries.com and take 10 to 15% off storewide on all select apparel and accessories. And remember, if you're a Patreon member, you get that 15% off as well. Why not become a Patreon supporter of The Mountain Mysteries and support its independent creators and help us keep bringing stories to people all over the globe. Stories right here all over the United States as well as all over the world. Join us on Patreon, become a subscriber, and of course you'll get a special shout out, thank yous, and other gifts as well. The Mountain Mysteries Podcast. It's the one place where you'll always be able to stay mysterious. On the morning of April 22, 2014, a Tuesday, both Kathy and Samantha failed to show up to school. Their absence was noted, but it wasn't until their two schools, Bardstown Elementary and Bardstown High School, began to communicate with one another that they pointed out how strange this was. Samantha was a very punctual student, but Kathy, in particular, was never even late without a phone call. For her to be absent entirely, something had to be terribly wrong. School officials began reaching out to the Netherlands' loved ones, eventually making contact with Kathy's father, Samantha's grandfather, Norris Harden. He was asked to check in on them from his end and make sure that everything was all right. So he stopped by the Netherland home at 5120 Springfield Road, just outside of Bardstown, in a small suburb named Botland. When he pulled up, he noticed that Kathy's car was still in the driveway, indicating that both she and Samantha were inside. Norris made the decision to enter the home, and inside he found the bodies of both Kathy and Samantha who had been brutally murdered for some unknown reason. Stepping outside, he phoned police, and soon word began to spread throughout this small town. 
Stacy Hibbard, Kathy's sister, arrived at the scene a short time later. When she got to the Netherlands' home, she found cop cars lining the streets and police tape wrapped around the crime scene, which now encompassed the entire house. At the scene, she saw her father was in apparent distress and later noted during a press conference, quote, they're gone and somebody did something terrible to them, end quote. In the stir of the region's second high-profile murder case in a single year, the area surrounding Bardstown was shocked. Those especially close to Kathy and Samantha Netherland were shocked, including colleagues, students, and other loved ones. Ashley Smith, the co-owner of 150 Quick Stop, a convenience store about a half a mile up the road from the Netherland home, told a local reporter that it was very unsettling, especially in this particular community. You've got a lot of good, honest, hardworking people around here. You just don't hear of this kind of thing happening. You just don't. Counselors were dispatched to Bardstown School to provide counseling, not only for the students that knew and loved both the Netherlands, but colleagues that struggled to make sense of this terrible crime. Paul Bowling, the principal of Bardstown Elementary School, stated that they were trying to help the kids process the news and process it themselves. Many kids have had ideas for events, and they were going to talk about those in the coming days. He said that Kathy did bring so much to the school. She was not only a good teacher, but a great person. Chris Pickett, the Bardstown High School principal, remembered Samantha along with the staff and the student body. He recalled that Samantha had entered the school as a shy, young, and quiet girl who had begun to blossom into a smart, confident, witty, and fun-loving young woman who wasn't afraid to belt out vocals during those choir concerts. But perhaps, the person hit hardest by the news of Kathy and Samantha's passing was none other than Holly Netherland, the only remaining member of the Netherlands' four-person family. In less than a year, Holly, who was only 19 years old, had been away at college and had lost her father to cancer, and now her mother and sister to a senseless murder. She spoke to the press and said, quote, on April 22nd, I received a phone call that shattered my life. My mother and my sister were dead. The first thought that ran through my head was, God, you can't take them. You took my daddy. You can't have them too. End quote. The funeral for Kathy and Samantha Netherland was held April 28, 2014 the following Monday at Parkway Baptist Church. Kathy and her family had been attending that church for years. Two days later, on April 30th, 2014, Kathy and Samantha were buried in the local Bardstown City Cemetery, right next to Robert Netherland, who had been waiting on them for about a year. Kathy's aunt and Samantha's great-aunt, Barbara Donahue, said that Samantha would be buried in the prom dress she had picked out the weekend prior to her death. Her family wanted her to be able to wear it at least once, Barbara said. She stated that she was going to go to the prom this weekend, had her dress, shoes, earrings, everything laid out and ready to go. And now all of that had come to an end. A memorial for the Netherlands was held on the 2nd of May, 2014, in which fellow staff members and students, as well as other colleagues and loved ones, assembled to release 
purple and baby blue balloons into the sky. Purple was Kathy's favorite color and baby blue was Samantha's. As they did so, Samantha's favorite Deaf Leopard song provided the soundtrack to this act of finality. The investigation into the murders of Kathy and Samantha Netherland was overseen by the Kentucky State Police, the same organization that had been heading the investigation into Officer Jason Ellis's death for the past 11 months. From the get-go, police believed that the crime had unfolded at around sunset on the day in question, which was April 21, 2014. Now, this estimate put the murder at around 8 o'clock that evening, which was a Monday, right before the time that night was beginning to fall. The death certificates for both Kathy and Samantha were released somewhere around two months after the murders, in June of 2014. They revealed that the two had been the victims of a horrific attack. 48-year-old Kathy had been shot multiple times, although police would never release the exact extent of those gunshots. The type of gun and ammunition remains confidential. However, the death certificate also revealed that Kathy had a deep cut on her neck, indicating that an assault had taken place. Meanwhile, 16-year-old Samantha seemed to have been the primary target of this for unknown reasons. Prior to her death, she had been beaten severely and had suffered serious wounds to her head. Her cause of death seemed to be a significant slash to her neck. It was thought that the mother and daughter had been in different rooms when they were attacked and or murdered, indicating that there might have been multiple attackers. Because each crime was so violent, it seemed impossible for one culprit to have been behind both. As for a motive? Well, investigators had no idea. Nothing of any kind of value seemed to be missing from the home. At least, nothing of importance. No prescription drugs. No jewelry or electronics were noted as being missing. This led investigators to believe that the two murders, which both were exceptionally violent, were, in fact, personal in nature. Detectives also theorized that the crimes had unfolded over a very short period of time, just ten or so minutes. Now the killer, or perhaps killers, had likely planned it out ahead of time arriving to the scene, doing the deed, and then leaving. One of the only leads that the investigators would float to the public was a vehicle seen leaving the area around the time they believed the murders took place. This particular car was one of three caught by witnesses and security cameras headed north towards Bardstown from Botland, the small suburb that Kathy and Samantha Netherland lived in. It should be noted, though, that out of those three vehicles, only one would remain unidentified in the following months. That particular vehicle was a newer 2006 to 2013 model black Chevrolet Impala. The vehicle had been caught by security cameras leaving the scene Shortly after 8 p.m., when police believed the unknown killer or killers had struck, this vehicle had also been spotted by witnesses that lived in the neighborhood of the crime scene. A couple of images of the car would be circulated to the press, shots taken from a nearby convenience store's security camera. And then, Jeff Gregory, a Kentucky State Police trooper, revealed that the police were not able to make out the vehicle's license plate due to the angle that it was driving and the extent of the security cameras. But... 
He was able to reveal some information about the Black Impala and what it could mean for the investigation. He said, The vehicle does not appear to have a chrome strip or a rear spoiler and may have a small antenna mounted above the center of the rear windshield. At the time, the windows did not appear to be tinted. He said that we still believe that if we can find that car, we'll solve this case. Despite there being very little information publicly released about this case, many people online have continued to theorize about who would have targeted Kathy and Samantha Netherland and why. One lead in particular was brought forth on a web sleuth forum by a user named My Curioso. This user had been combing through the social media pages of both Kathy and Samantha and discovered an incident that Kathy Netherland detailed in a New Year's Eve Facebook post just about four or so months before her eventual murder. It details a bizarre event that she had while hanging out at home with both of her daughters, not just Samantha, but Holly also, who was likely home for winter break. The post reads as follows. Earlier this afternoon, we heard a noise. I thought one of our two cats had knocked something over. We didn't find anything disturbed, so we thought it was nothing. Boy, were we wrong. A little while ago, Holly opens our front door to go outside to pick up the mail and finds both glass panes in our screen door shattered. We have taken pics, and I've carefully removed loose pieces of glass and the glass frames. All the shattered glass pieces have now been swept off the front porch. Guess I'll be heading to Lowe's tomorrow to find replacements. Crazy how unexpected events happen. Now that post appeared to describe how both glass panes on the Netherlands front door had at once shattered. For an unknown reason? Well... Immediately, as you can imagine, Facebook friends of Kathy began to suspect that there might have been some kind of funny business involved. But she seemed to brush off those concerns. She said, I don't think it was foul play. There was no rock or anything like that on the porch, and there wasn't any damage to the wood door panes either. There were window cleans that said Merry Christmas, but I don't think anyone in this area would be bothered by that. I think it was a fluke of the wind that caught the door and broke the window. So... Kathy seemed to suspect that a rogue gust of wind was the culprit behind the shattered glass door. She seemed to double down on that in another response when asked about a potential cause. She said, We're not sure. I think it wasn't latched and the wind must have caught it. The door frame is fine, but the glass in both the top and bottom panes were shattered. Glass was all over the porch. The web sleuth that discovered this Facebook post, nicknamed My Curioso, thought that it was an interesting lead and decided to follow up on it. They actually examined the weather patterns for the region and discovered that there were no reported gusts of winds on the day that this incident was reported, which was December 31st, 2013. In fact, in the Bardstown area, the recorded wind patterns were actually well below the monthly average, making it a less windy day than normal. Even if it were a rogue gust of wind, it remains highly unlikely that it would have been powerful enough to have slammed the door hard enough to break both panes of glass. And if you've ever tried to break glass, you know that those panes 
do not break quite so easily. Freak accidents do happen, of course, but those glass panes are usually designed to withstand a decent amount of force. Now, in this web sleuth forum, users also pointed out that Kathy had taken a picture in front of her door on Christmas Day to highlight her Christmas decorations. In that particular photo, there was no visible damage to the front door. The glass panes were intact, and the wooden panes surrounding the door were in tip-top shape. So we fast forward just a couple of months. However, you'll notice that crime scene photos show some significant damage to the wood paneling just outside of the Netherlands front door. This indicates that there might have been some damage done to the front entrance of the home, maybe by the culprits trying to get in, either before or during the murder. Now, the police have refused to release many details about the investigation into this violent double murder because it, understandably, is an open case. But I think it remains highly likely that whoever was responsible for the crime had scoped out the scene ahead of time. Most of the time, that's what they do. Now, the cops have theorized that the killers knew what they were doing and quickly conducted the crime in a timely manner. Perhaps they had tried to damage the front door of the home to gain entrance or attract attention and wanted to judge the reaction time of the Netherland women. That's just a theory, but... Sure does seem like a valid one. After all, we know that criminals like the Golden State Killer committed similar acts when he was scoping out victims. With any luck, time will tell whether or not this is just a red herring. So over the past several years, the murder of Kathy and Samantha Netherland have received a healthy splash of publicity. There's no doubt about that. That case was given attention in an Oxygen documentary series centered around one and another cold case from Bartstown, the disappearance of Crystal Rogers, along with the ambush of Officer Jason Ellis. Reporters tried to connect the dots between the various unsolved crimes. And that documentary... Reporter Stephanie Bauer spoke with an anonymous prison inmate, as we said earlier. He didn't want his identity revealed, but he said that Kathy and Samantha were killed as part of a gang initiation. Investigators actively involved with the case have been unable to confirm or deny any of those allegations, less we heard, in particular because some of the details are hard to verify without physical proof. Now, it is unknown whether or not a cell phone jammer could have been used, and whether or not a gang would have access to that kind of technology. But police also stated that there seemed to be nothing of importance missing from the home. The rest of the inmates' information seemed to be details that were already publicly known. It was knowledge most people had, with one exception. The location of the chairs inside the home. Well, that seems to be a tantalizing little piece of information that police have refused to comment on. Holly, the only surviving family member of the Netherland family, stated about this lead. She said, I have been asked by the police about the relative location of chairs. It's one of those things that I'm not comfortable talking about. How they died is not the, one of the main things that I want to think about. Holly Netherland, the only surviving member of the small family, was left in a pretty tight spot and a very rough one at the time of the murders. She was attending college at the time, living roughly two hours away from home. She was notified by a phone call. On that phone call, she was told that her mother and sister had been killed 
and had to endure the stress of the end of her sophomore year, final exams, and all that stuff. Then you put on top of that, that additional grief that she now had of her mother and younger sister being killed in that home. As if that weren't enough to make it worse, residents of the region began to surmise that Holly herself was, you guessed it, responsible for this. Because Bardstown is such a small and relatively isolated community, it was only a matter of time before the local gossip started churning its nasty, ugly little wheels and the little green heads started to pop up. Then the gossip began to overtake the actual investigation. Saw that coming after the murder of Jason Ellis, the police officer who was killed. Residents started to spread horrible rumors about his widow and her alleged love life. And we saw that and studied that and investigated with 19-year-old Holly Netherland as well. The motive alleged by the bullshit gossip was that Holly was trying to obtain insurance money following her father's death, which had been paid out less than a year prior. I don't guess that I need to say this, but that rumor is based on no factual information. Out of everyone in the Netherlands' orbit around the time of the murder, Holly was undoubtedly the person most heavily inspected by investigators who look for a personal or financial motive to any crime. That's the way things are done. Always go to the person closest to the victim first, or in this case, victims. Virtually all investigation starts with spouses and immediate family members. Then it spreads outwards. Holly was undoubtedly investigated by the Kentucky State Police, who looked for any kind of incentive. They didn't find a thing and have stated that there is no evidence that Holly or anyone she knew had anything to do with any of this. In fact, the rumors were actually harmful to Holly Netherland. She was a 19-year-old girl that had lost her entire immediate family over the span of a year, and people could not seem to get that through their minds. To try to put the rumors to bed, Holly donated roughly her entire inheritance, around $50,000, to the reward fund for information leading to an arrest. But no doubt, some people will find some way to manipulate and twist that. The reward fund, which started out around 2500 jumped up to 50000 in the following months, fueled primarily by Holly and her family, who started referring to the reward fund as Holly's inheritance. In the roughly half decade since the crime happened, Holly's married and she's tried to move on with her life, but remains hopeful that answers can one day be found for her mother and her beloved sister. You know, if the area around Bardstown wasn't already shocked by the murder of Jason Ellis, well, there's no doubt about it that they were now. It was only a calendar year that two hideous crimes had plagued residents of the closely knit region and answers had eluded investigators looking into both crimes. Now, in addition to police officers being gunned down in the streets, special education teachers and high school students were all being savagely murdered inside their homes. I guess everyone is fair game for whoever it was that wanted to do this. Soon it became apparent that just like the investigation into the ambush of Officer Jason Ellis, state investigators looking into the murders of Kathy and Samantha Netherland were stumped. 
Their only real clue seemed to be the black Chevy Impala caught leaving the scene. Screenshots of that vehicle had brought up a lot. I mean, dozens, if not hundreds of tips. But none of them led to any viable leads. Now, roughly speaking, there's about 20,000 vehicles that matched the vehicle's description in the Commonwealth of Kentucky alone. And with the states of Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois so close by, the possibilities... I can't even fathom that. They had to have been endless. But to this day, it remains unknown who targeted Kathy and Samantha Netherland, or why. It's believed that at least two culprits were involved, but that potential motive is completely unknown. The only thing there that makes any sense would be a gang initiation, unless somebody was leading a secret life, and there's no evidence to support that at all. A group of retired detectives were brought in to oversee and relaunched these investigations in 2017. It includes reviewing other local cases like the death of Officer Jason Ellis. These retired Kentucky State Police investigators started to pour over the cold cases plaguing the region of Bardstown, which included not only the two cases we've covered so far, but a strange disappearance that brought Bardstown to national headlines. Well, that particular story? That would be the story of Crystal Rogers. We'll be covering that one soon as well. But Crystal Rogers, like Kathy and Samantha Netherland or Jason Ellis, remains unsolved. If you have any tips at all, please come forward. You can contact the Kentucky State Police. The phone number is a toll-free one and it's in the show notes of this episode. Remember to log on to our website, www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com. Get your cool Mountain Mysteries gear, listen to episodes, submit your blurs, and you can contact us there as well with any information. You can remain anonymous. We will be happy to pass any information along to the Kentucky State Police. On behalf of the Mountain Mysteries blurs, the Mountain Mysteries gatherings, which airs each Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash themountainmysteries. Well, I'm Chris Long. Stay mysterious. If you enjoy the Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support the Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more.
Pantry Studio production.